Hey guys, welcome back to the Thought Spot. So today I wanted to reflect on some of my traits as a woman with autism because part of the reason why I was able to get diagnosed with autism was because of watching videos of other women on YouTube and TikTok talk about their traits as a woman with autism. And because I was able to resonate with those specific traits, I was able to then do the research and reflections that I needed on myself and do the tests that I needed to figure out, oh, perhaps there's something deeper here that I have to uncover. That's when I went on that journey of getting assessed for autism and therefore diagnosed. So for the sake of continuing that momentum of bringing awareness to not just adult autism, but adult women with autism and how that presents and how that looks, I'm going to go over some of my traits today. My list was very long, but I'm going to only go through half of it. And I think I'm gonna make a second part describing the second half of my list because I'm gonna try to keep my videos as short as I can. I'm just gonna go over the first nine traits on my list. Again, if this content is relatable to you in any way, please subscribe to my channel. You could look forward to new videos every week. And with that being said, let's get into the first trait. Really quick, sorry I have my AirPods in, but I find it very hard to film these episodes when I'm not listening to something. And that's a part of my autism is that I constantly need there to be an auditory stim there or else it's really hard for me to be able to function. So pretty much you could catch me having these headphones in 24 seven throughout the day. The moment I wake up and open my eyes, I immediately pop these in. And normally I'm listening to some sort of white noise sound. For me, I like to listen to the stream sound on my iPhone. Sometimes I like to listen to binaural beats. Sometimes I like to listen to podcasts or music. But most of the time when I need to concentrate, I'm mostly just listening to sounds of water. Or if I really like someone's voice and the way they sound, I like to just pop that on as well. And usually I like to layer them on top of each other so that I'm not only hearing the stream sound, but I'm also hearing the sound of the person speaking. I notice that when I'm not allowing myself to stim through my ears, the quality of my day goes way down. My anxiety is a lot worse and I just can't get things done as well or as fast as I would want to. A good example is I tried to film this episode last night and I must have refilmed 10 times. I filmed so many different cuts and it just, I could not speak. I could not get my thoughts together. And it's because I wasn't listening to something. And now that I'm like listening to something, I could finally gather my thoughts and talk more smoothly. So I guess the first trait of mine on this list is being able to have my auditory stims constantly there. And I know every person with autism is different, so every person is going to have their specific stim that they prefer and that helps them thrive. But for me, it's that auditory stim is like the number one for me. Okay, so the second thing on my list is sensory experiencing. So I say sensory experiencing because sensory could be 
good or bad for an autistic individual. On my list, I wrote that I have sensory preferences and sensory aversions. Let me go into some of my sensory preferences. So we have five senses, right? We have your vision, we have hearing, we have smelling, we have tasting, and we have touch. So for me, all of my senses are very heightened, which means that because they're heightened, I like to experience life in a very specific way. Depending on how I'm experiencing those senses, I could either be extremely anxious and panicky, or I could be very, very comforted and flowy. Let me kind of get into what this means. For me, my most sensitive sense is smell. So I smell very, very, very intensely. I could smell things that other people don't smell. There's so many times where I will tell my partner that there's something that smells, he doesn't smell it, my mom doesn't smell it, and I'm just like, how do these people not smell what I smell? Like, it's so intense. And another thing is taste. Taste kind of goes into smell sometimes. A quirky example of what that looks like for me is There'd be times when I was a little girl where my friend would let me eat some of their food and when I ate it, I told them, your food tastes like how your house smells. And I remember whenever I would say this, my friends would look at me like I was really, really weird and they could not understand what I was trying to say. But what I was saying was literally what I was experiencing. If my friend let me eat some of her chips, when I ate the chips, it didn't just taste like chips. It tasted like what their house smelled like. So I remember when I would go to their house, their house had a very distinct smell. And when I ate their food, it's like their food was infused with the smell of their house. Therefore, other people's food is going to taste different because their house smells different. And that's just like one little quirk that I have. I would be super interested to see if anyone else could relate to this. But as well, part of having a sensitive nose, I remember when I was little, I felt very, very put off by specific people, a lot of the times older people, because they smelled very specific and it really like rubbed me the wrong way. If a relative came over and they were like hugging me and trying to talk to me or a teacher would be very close to my face, I just smelled that very intense smell of old people or bad breath or whatever. And it really made me feel so uncomfortable. I remember I felt very averted away from people depending on how they smell. Another thing about my senses is for touch specifically, because I'm very sensitive to cold, it affected me in various of different ways. One way it affected me was when I was a teenager, I used to have to choose the outfit I wanted to wear for the next day, and then I would wear that to bed. Part of the reason why I did that was because when I woke up the next morning and it was extremely cold, it was a sensory overload for me to have to change out of my pajamas, be naked, be super cold, and then put on the outfit I was gonna wear that day, and then the clothes that I put on was gonna be super cold, and then it had to warm up to the heat of my body. That whole experience of just changing outfits was such an intense sensory overload for me that in order to avoid that, I would wear the clothes to bed so that when I woke up the next day, I don't have to go through feeling 
feeling cold and I could just wake up, go downstairs and prepare myself for school. And likewise, I would avoid taking showers when I was little as well because the house I grew up in, the bathroom was extremely big. There was such an intense airflow through the bathroom and the floor was tile. So it was so cold in the bathroom all the time. The thought of having to go shower and come out wet to a very cold bathroom with a gust of wind was just too much for me to handle sensory overload and having your wet hair like dripping down your skin making you even more cold and even if you were to change into clothes your wet hair is dripping on your clothes the sensory input was so intense that i would actually avoid showering which then became a hygiene issue i remember the way i tried to accommodate was washing my hair in the sink because I just could not fathom going into the shower and showering there. It was like the experience was too intense and too off-putting that I just did everything I could to avoid showering. A lot of that has to do with my touch and not wanting to feel cold and feel wet. Cold and wet combined together is like the worst thing possible. I don't know, I don't know anyone that would want to feel that way. Another very interesting note about senses is I could find very, very, very deep comfort in senses too. So for example, when I was a little girl, I had a very specific blanket and I did not want any other blanket because the texture of this blanket was perfect. The color of it was perfect. The way this blanket retained smells was perfect. And I would have this blanket and I would constantly be moving the blanket around my nose so I could smell different parts of this blanket so that I could smell the different smells I brought this blanket too. So it's like one part of the blanket would smell like the casino in Reno, and then the other side of the blanket could smell like my grandma's house. And then one part of the blanket could smell like my mom, and the list goes on. And so this blanket for me for many years was like a sensory stim, and it brought such a deep sense of comfort. I did not want anyone to mess with this blanket because everything was perfect about it. I remember there'd be so many times where my parents would try to take the blanket away from me to wash it or they would tell me you're too old you can't keep bringing a blanket around with you and they didn't realize that it was just my way of stimming there was even a joke that my parents would have where they called it my tobebe which in chinese means stinky blanket because i refused to let them wash it i refused to let them replace it and I just grew so attached to this blanket. I did not want anyone to mess with all of those sensory factors that I found comfort in. And as well, that carries over to adulthood. I am very specific about fabric and the blankets in my house. I have to have a specific texture to the blankets that I sleep in. Those are some of my autistic traits when it comes to sensory inputs and outputs. The next trait I wrote down is that I am very, very particular about the way I do things and the process of doing something. As you will see, a lot of my traits can be like OCD tendencies. And from what I researched, OCD in the context of autism is a little bit different than OCD outside the context of autism. From what I've seen and researched, OCD outside of autism is feeling this compulsive need to do something because you feel very, very uncomfortable if you do it and if you don't do it. 
So there's like this uncomfortability to it. Whereas OCD in the context of autism for a lot of ASD individuals, it's not necessarily that we'd feel uncomfortable. It's the fact that we feel deep comfort if we were to do it a certain way or experience something a certain way. And therefore you choose to want to do it that way. And so for me, the way I tend to cook, the way I tend to make my coffee, the way I tend to do even like the smallest of things, like if I made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I have to spread the peanut butter across the toast in every part of the toast and there can't be any exposed surface of the toast. The toast has to be toasted a very specific way and it's like I have to have particular ways of like doing something and if I don't do it, it's fine. It's just that if I do do it, it brings like a deep sense of comfort, which kind of leads to my next trait, which is the tendency to personify inanimate objects and grow attached to inanimate objects. A part of this trait has to do with the deep comfort I feel and the deep satisfaction I feel to a specific object because it provides a specific experience to me. An example of this is my morning coffee. Every morning when I make my coffee, I can only drink it out of specific cups. So there's two different cups I usually drink out of. One is bigger, one is smaller, but I memorized these cups, how it feels in my hand, how heavy it is, how long it keeps my drink warm or cold, the feeling of it touching my lips when I drink from the cup, the experience, the sensory experiences of these cups and how it relates to my coffee drinking experience is so specific that it provides a very specific type of comfort that I look to have every single time because if I were to drink my cup of coffee from any other cup, it just wouldn't feel the same because for example, it just wouldn't keep the temperature of the drink the way I want it to. And there's times where my loving partner will make me a cup of coffee and he wouldn't put it in the right cup and I'll have him go back and pour it into the right cup and then hand it over to me the correct way. Just very particular, very attached to objects. When I eat food, I have to eat out of a specific bowl and with a specific spoon because the way a spoon feels when I'm, you know, putting it in my mouth matters, the way it feels in my hand, the way it scoops up the food. I like find these things very important to how I experience things. And if it was up to me, of course, I would choose these specific objects to optimize my experience. Throughout my whole life, when I was little, I would be attached to drinking from one particular cup. I grew attached to that blanket that I had. So another aspect of my autism is my black and white moral compass. And let me get into that a little bit more. Let me explain, because this is a little bit uh, complex for those who may not be familiar or may not relate, but I am a very open person. I actually prefer to interact and get to know people who are authentically them and who are different from me because I like to learn about someone and what they're passionate about, what makes them them. I don't like to see people who are exact replicas of each other or who are only interested in trying to come across relatable to me. I actually like to learn from other people and part of that is finding people that are different from me. 
But how that's different from the black and white moral compass is whoever you are or whatever you believe in, I am going to be open to you. But where I start to get rigid is when it comes to moral compass. Do your moral values align with who you are and who you want to be? Is your moral compass consistent throughout whoever you interact with and throughout different situations? Okay, so a good example of this is there was one year where I started to go to church. I was raised atheist, but I randomly found myself going to church because my friend at the time introduced me and I met so many different types of people at church. But as I got to know everyone more and more as individuals, I began to see that they wouldn't uphold their moral values in church outside of church, and they would be completely different people outside of church, which I don't think it's wrong to not follow church rules, but I feel like I don't like seeing someone switching from one person inside the church, for example, and then turning into a completely different person outside of church. If you are a person that doesn't align with or believe in church rules, then you shouldn't have to go to church and put on this act like you do. And if you do align with it, then you shouldn't have to leave church and feel ashamed to upholding those values. I don't understand the concept of changing your moral values depending on where you are because I just see that as scummy. I, I see that as um, being shady and lying and being dishonest and I, I don't like that. I feel like you have to be consistent with what you believe in and make sure that you're constantly aligning with doing things that align with your beliefs. And the same goes for if a friend is complaining to me about a specific person in her life, whether that's a friend of hers or a boyfriend or whatever, and she turns around after the conversation and is smiling to their face, acting like there's nothing wrong and acting like she's just completely infatuated with that person, that, that she didn't just spend an hour complaining to me about this person, I don't like that because it's just not honest. I feel like a part of my autism is being so honest and not being able to fathom lying. And I think that's a part of my rigidity is I see being two-faced as lying. I feel like not having a consistent moral compass is being dishonest and I don't like that. I feel like if you don't like someone, you shouldn't have to feel the need to be best friends with them still. If you don't align with certain beliefs, you shouldn't have to continue to go to church where you don't align with those beliefs. If you don't align with anything, you shouldn't force yourself to continue to be in that environment or with those people or doing the same things that you may have in the past but just don't necessarily align with anymore. How that affects me in my personal life is if I ever find myself not aligning with a person or a situation and I find that I have to start lying and being a different part of myself that I don't want to be and that I don't feel like represents me in an honest way, I immediately have to cut that thing out of my life because I cannot move forward lying and be dishonest to myself. I have to make sure that I'm always doing what feels right to me and that I don't have to put on an act of being a completely different person. And so 
part of that is cutting out friends that I don't align with anymore, cutting out partners that I don't align with anymore, quitting jobs that I don't align with anymore, and continually checking in with myself to see, do I feel right with my life and what I'm doing and who I'm surrounding myself with? I feel like a lot of neurotypical people have the capability to still keep people in their lives and situations in their lives that don't really align with them, but they're able to come in and out of it and not really have it affect them too much but part of my autism is that I don't have that capability this is where I could be very rigid as the psychologist said but yeah those are just some of the traits that I have as a woman with autism comment down below if you related to any of these traits that I have I'd be super interested to read and write back to you guys if you like today's video and you're looking forward to part two give this video a like that's gonna help me out a lot if you want to stay up to date with my future videos subscribe down below and you can look forward to new videos every week but with that being said thank you for tuning in on today's episode and I will see you guys next week. Bye!